The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. How are we? Yeah, I'm, I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, welcome. There's a guest card uh, in your worship guide. We'd love for you to fill that out so we could get some information into your hands um, and just help you engage in this uh, that that process of finding a church. Trust me, I know how hard that can be. I've been a part of that. There's a lot of great churches in our area, and we want to make sure that you are uh, really where God has designed you to be. I was having a conversation with some folks this week, but it's just the beauty of how God brings the body together. I mean, we're all the church, but then there's local expressions of the, the church, and God will just, it, it's so cool how he does it. You know, a church might have three thumbs, and he'll take one of those thumbs and put them in another local body because they need another opposable thumb, right? Because that's what separates us from most of the creatures in the animal kingdom, by the way. Those of you who do the reading ahead, and you read this passage that we're teaching today, I'm going to go ahead and just kill this off the bat. This is not a money message. We're going to get into this. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 32. So if you've got your Bible, start getting there, and uh, we're going to read it. We're going to actually approach this passage uh, from several different perspectives this morning. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to read it. Imagine that. Uh, The next thing we're going to do is let it read us, and then we're going to third... uh, Decide what are we learning from this? What does God want us to take away? That's one of the keys that when you study and engage Scripture, you want to first read it. And context is king. Okay, don't don't pull a verse out of context. You need to read verses before it, verses after it. Honestly, yeah, it may take time, but you want the quality, not the quantity, right? And so when we study Scripture, we first want to read it, read it in context, and then let it read us. Because the beauty about Scripture, it's the only book that when we open it, the author is fully present. And it's the only book that the author has the transformational power to change us from within. And so we want to let it read us. And then we want to say, okay, what do we need to walk away? What is the learning that we need to walk away from today? So we're going to get in and we're going to actually engage that practice this morning, Acts chapter 4. This message is not a money message. Um, This message is about pride hypocrisy, and selfishness. Some of y'all are like, give me the money message. <laughs> no, we're doing, the, we're doing this one. Let's read it. Chapter 4, verse 32. We're going to go through uh, chapter 5, verse 11. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? 
and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward and wrapped his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. That's a, never mind. Uh, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Our ushers are coming forward to take this morning's tithes and offerings. Um, Just kidding, it's not a money message. Uh, This passage is about the dangers of selfishness, pride, and hypocrisy. Uh, Hypocrisy is really just pretending to be something you're not. And the danger in this context And this passage is actually using the church to build that false identity. God doesn't like that. Let's understand some things about the characteristics of God before we get into this. God hates hypocrisy and God hates sin. God does not hate the struggling sinner. God hates hypocrisy and sin. The pretending to be something you're not creating a false identity around the gospel or around church or using the church to build a platform of a false identity. And God hates sin. But God does not hate the struggling sinner. Too many times, we as the church, we want to direct God's wrath to the struggling sinner. Because either we find what they do detestable, or we, 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 want, we want to see punishment happen, honestly. I mean, let, let's call it like it is. We don't like to be wronged. And when we are wronged, we want punishment to happen quickly and swiftly. Now, when we do the wrong, we want grace, right? It's like we were driving home from dinner the other night, and this guy was driving like a guy that needed help from Jesus. And uh, it didn't set well with me. And I'm thinking, where is a police officer when you need one? You know? And I was like, man, that would be awesome. So I started playing it out in my mind. Police officer comes up, pulls him over, drags him out of the car. You know how it plays out in your mind. We want to direct the wrath of God towards the struggling sinner. We need to stop doing this because honestly, we're all struggling sinners. We're all broken people in need of a savior. And God's wrath is not directed at the struggling sinner. Um, Instead of creating battles against the people that are entangled in sin, let's begin to fight our hypocrisy and our sin. Let's be about killing our sin, or our sin's going to be about killing us. Let me tell you something. I've got my hands full with my own mess. And it's hard for me to start calling down judgment and God's wrath on other people because of their sin when I can't even deal with my own. What is it? The plank eye syndrome? And so we've got to make sure that God... Understand, understand that God does not look fondly upon hypocrisy, pride, or selfishness. God killed Ananias and Sapphira. 
to get back to the true meaning of Christianity and to make Jesus clear. Let me help you. I said it. God killed Ananias and Sapphira. You're like, we teach it from the Old Testament or New Testament today. This is the New Testament. It is the same God. He's a God of mercy. (laughs) He's also a God of wrath. So now that we've read the passage in its entirety and in its context, let's go back and let's let the passage read us. Let's see if we can find ourselves. uh, Do we identify with Ananias and Sapphira? Do we identify with Joseph? Do we identify with the apostles? Where do we fit in this teaching? So let's, let's go back. Uh, verse 32, we'll go 32 through 35. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money to the, of the, from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. What's going on here is you see community. You see church happening in a beautiful context. This is not a message setting up saying, hey, sign your houses and cars over to the church. If, you, if a pastor says that to you, run, leave. Don't walk, run. I will help you find another church. All right? This isn't like setting it up to be a community property. You get into cult mentality at that point. What's happening is you have really genuine care for the community because there's been a transformation by Christ and there's a genuine care and love for other people because grace abounds. And so when needs rise, people engage to meet the needs. What's happening is the church is using the needs of the people to show how great God is and that God is our provider, and that in the context of community, we can come together, we can share our struggles, and we can find help. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, they used the needs of the people to take advantage of the people. They wanted to show how great they are. And so what you have happening in context here is when... Um, Ananias and Sapphira see what's going on. They're like, wait, we have an opportunity. I mean, it's kind of like the, you know, the Disney movie where you have the, 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 the evil couple, you know? They're like, we can take advantage of this. I don't know. I don't watch Disney movies or anything. I've just heard about them. <laughs> they were taking advantage of the needs to make themselves look great instead of God look great. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So you've got Joseph who gets a new name, Barnabas, son of encouragement from the apostles. that says, I have the resources to meet the needs of someone in our church. Here's what I believe about the context of our church and how God builds the body. If there is a need that we have in our church, God has already brought the ability to fulfill that need. And if God is bringing some ability to meet needs, get ready, because he's bringing some needs. And that's the beauty of how the body works. 
And so Joseph says, I've got, I, I have the availability to help meet some needs, and I'm going to engage on it. And then now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, and he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is Ananias' problem. He let his wife know what was going on. You know, guys, guys you know you have the she money. You know, she don't know I got it money. Keep it in my drawer. It's my discretionary money. I'm just kidding. She knows where it's at. I just said it publicly. All my girls know where I keep my little stash of cash. I go in. I've been saving up for three years. Why do I only have 10 bucks in here? Golly. Inflation. What's happening is the context of the church. There's about fifteen to 20,000 people in the church at this point. We, we understand that in Acts chapter 4, it's 5,000 men. When you count women and children, families into this, there's about 15,000 people in the church. Now, what's going on is that the apostles see Joseph walk up, lay the money, and say, this is to meet the needs of the people in our community. And the apostles say, we're going to call you Barnabas because you're a son of encouragement. You've just encouraged the community by showing how great God is. And Ananias and Sapphira are like, hmm, we'd like to be noticed. So they go and sell a field, but they're like, but we're going to keep some money for ourselves. We're not about meeting the needs of the people in the community. We're about getting a name for ourselves. So they, they come and put the money up there. Let's understand something about their names. Ananias is the Greek word for God is merciful. Sapphira means beautiful. So here in church, you got God is merciful and beautiful getting killed by God. Killed by God. Not that they fell with fear. God killed them. They wanted a name for themselves. We've got to be careful about seeking recognition for our own sake. Here's what I believe. We as a church do things in our community, and we get recognition for that. And that's, that's sweet. I, I enjoy doing things for the community. But when we get recognition for that, here's what we have to understand. We've gotten our reward. When we do things in our community that people don't know who to thank and they don't know how to pay us back, well, we're storing something up for heaven. I would much rather do that. We have several stealth missions, we call them. But they don't know a church is involved with it. They don't need to know a church is involved with it. We just know there's needs in our community and we can help engage with them. And we don't do it for our namesake. In the church, we've got to be careful about serving. Do we do it for God or do we do it so people see us? I don't like the vocabulary of volunteer in church. Volunteer denotes that you're doing God a favor or you're doing the church a favor. I like to say we're serving Christ in church. And whether that's at the coffee bar, setting up this room, setting up this building, serving in kids... We're not doing it for anything other than serving Jesus. And and honestly, I can't thank you enough. I can't recognize you enough, but that's not our motivation. We've got to be very careful about that. Otherwise, we're getting into some pride, selfishness, and obedience. It's interesting because feet come up over and over in this passage. Those of you who know me, I'm not a feet person. It's just that feet are just, they're, they're gross, man. I'm sorry. You know, Fred Flintstone feet, man. It just they, all feet look that way. They're just like, ugh. I, 
Ah, my stomach's starting to turn a little bit. Feet. Feet are important in this passage, though, because they really symbolize humility. People would sell their possessions and bring the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Joseph put the money at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira put some of their money at the apostles' feet. It denotes humility. The greatest act of humility that we can ever see is the cross of Christ. One of the greatest acts of humility in the life of Christ is him humbling himself as a servant to wash his disciples' feet. See, God wants our humility. God wants all of us, and he wants our humility. And let me tell you something. In the end, God will get it. He will either get it from us voluntarily humbling ourselves to him or he's going to get it the way he got Ananias and Sapphira. Because in the end, you see, uh, what, what happened is God wanted all of Ananias and Sapphira. What he ended up getting in this story is none of Ananias and Sapphira and some of their money. When we make things about money, we way underestimate God. We, we miss the point. In Mark 12 is the story of the widow's offering that there's the wealthy that are putting large sums of money into the treasury. Jesus is watching this going on, by the way. When you give, Jesus is watching. And then they see this, this widow put in two small copper coins worth a fraction of a penny. And Jesus says, she gave the most. Because all these other folks, they wrote checks out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. She had to humble herself to me to say, God, this is all I got, and I trust you for everything I've got. When we make it about money, we're just hearing change, dropping an offering plate, or whatever recognition we can get for how big of a check we we try to write. Don't do that. God wants our humility. God can do more with humility, genuineness, and obedience than he can with our money. God owns it anyway. I was reminded in the Psalms this week as I'm reading that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I love what God says in Scripture. What can you give me that I don't already have? We like to think we're doing God a favor by giving or volunteering some of our time or giving him some of our money. God's like, I own it anyway. God says, I own all the money. I own all the wealth. And here's the other thing we've got to realize. God says, I own every breath that I give you. And he wants our humility and our obedience. He's going to get us either way. The apostles' feet, they fell. We will come to the feet of Jesus. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Either through our humility or when his wrath pushes us to our knees. He's going to get it. Either way, verse three and four, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you did you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. What have we seen the pattern in Acts so far? Is that people are filled with the Holy Spirit and then they speak Jesus. What Peter's saying here is, You've let Satan in. You're now filled with Satan and you're speaking lies. You've missed the message. You've missed the point. You've gotten this off base. 
Jesus is nowhere near this. Here's the thing with pride and hypocrisy. Pride takes us off task. And hypocrisy makes us think we're better than we are and we don't need the gospel. I mean, hypocrisy is going to say, I'm, so, I'm good enough. Or we pretend we're good enough. Let me tell you this. Hypocrisy and pride is a walking death sentence. I believe that God did Ananias and Sapphira a favor. Sometimes the most merciful thing God can do is take you out of the game. And he did. And we don't like this, we don't, we don't like to say this about God. We feel like we gotta defend God. God's big enough. Trust me, he's big enough. The strongest language that Jesus used in his ministry was about hypocrisy and pride. And who was he directing that to? The religious leaders who rejected the gospel because they didn't need it. All they'd done was created a set of rules. They'd become prideful about how well they can follow the rules. And then when people tried to come and get help, they heaped more rules on them. And Jesus speaks very strongly against that. Matthew 23, read it this week. I mean, he uses some harsh language. And then in verse 5 through 10, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. You think? I mean, if that happened today, or think about if they had smartphones in the first century. <laughs> Y'all would be tweeting, Instagramming, YouTubing, but trying to get your camera up to get a shot of Ananias, there'd be slow motion of him falling, like, you know, and you'd be, the whole world would know in seconds. It would be, you know, you think fear sees them because they're there serving God and like, whoa, he, God is serious, man. Don't mess with him. Note to self. He struck them down because of their hypocrisy. Let me tell you something. Here at the creek, be who you are. But let the gospel transform you. I can't change you. I don't have the power or ability to change you. It's only the transformational power that comes through the Holy Spirit, and that's the good news. Be who you are. Now, we need to understand sin is not okay. We do need to fight against our sin and what entangles us. But, but don't come in here pretending and then pretending like you're not pretending. In other words, don't, don't act like me when you walk in the gym. Because when I walk in the gym, yeah, I go sometimes. I suck in my gut, you know, I'm like, like, ah, oh, you know, broaden out your shoulders. Like, yeah, you walk in like, oh, and then I'll go, I'll do my weights on the machine. I'll move the pin to a heavier weight when I leave, you know, so then the, I'm not the only one that does that because I sit down and I know that dude can't lift that amount of weight. They sit down like, oh, and they look at me like, oh, he's strong, you know, and then you get out in the truck, you're like, oh, you know, your gut kind of, don't walk into church doing that. You suck in your spiritual gut. You're like, oh, praise God. Everything is just fine. Yes. Praise the Lord. It's a beautiful, blessed day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Lord is good. God is good. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. And then you get back in the car and you continue the fight you had on the way here. You know what I'm saying? And then you go home and you wonder how you're going to make it through the next week. This is a place that is a safe place. 
This is a place where the comforting words are me too. You're struggling with something, me too. You're dealing with sin, me too. Can you be honest about it? Yes. You are not gonna scare me, trust me. I've been in ministry long enough. I know y'all are jacked up. And I'm right there with you. And by the way, there's nothing we can, we, we can't hide anything from God. God's not gonna go, ooh, ooh, I did, ooh, hmm. I don't know about that one. Let's be honest about who we are. And let's let grace abound in our community. So when we're honest, it's safe. What's funny is when Ananias walked in, and I stopped myself from saying it earlier because I wanted to read the whole passage, but it says this, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. You know that's the first century church. She didn't know him before he hit the ground. Tweeting, oh, we need to pray. Uh, Sapphira, we're praying for you because Ananias just died. What? When we are honest about what we struggle with, we have to have the grace and safety of community because vulnerability is very dangerous. But I will say this, it's worth it. When we can find hope, when we can find healing, that vulnerability is very worth it. And then the interesting thing, Verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. That's the first time in the book of Acts Luke uses the word church. The Greek word is ekklesia. It's a called out group. It's interesting to me, the first time that he uses the word church is in the context of God's judgment and wrath. You've got to understand the church is just maybe a couple months old at this point. And God's dealing with some things. So we've read the passage. We've let the passage read us. And maybe God's kind of working on you about where you might fit in this. But let's look at some things we can all take away. First thing is we can't water it down. God is a God of wrath. I hear people say, well, I can't serve a God of wrath. Let me tell you something, I can. Ladies, you wouldn't marry a husband. You wouldn't marry a man who wouldn't defend you. And we need to understand that God is a God of wrath. God is a jealous God. God says, I will have no other gods before me. God is the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. There wasn't counseling that happened between Malachi and Matthew. That's not why the prophets were silent so long, because God's in therapy. He's the same God, and he is a God of wrath. But we need to understand that God's wrath is is pointed at prideful people who reject him because of their pride and don't think they need the gospel. God's wrath is not pointed at the struggling sinners who humble themselves and say, have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me, a sinner. It's the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee going in for prayer. Are we the Pharisee that stands before God and say, God, I thank you that I'm not like any of these other people. I thank you that I don't deal with the stuff they deal with. I'm grateful I'm not like this tax collector back here. God, I'm just, I'm so favored in your eyes, God. You're so lucky to have me on your team, God. I have to engage with you, God, otherwise this wouldn't get done. And God's like, really? (laughs) Watch this. 
You ever seen a donkey talk? <laughs> or are we like the tax collector that stands at a distance, that beats our chest and said, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, God. Have mercy on me. Jesus says, who walks away justified? Now, let's understand God is a God of wrath. He's also a God of discipline. I mean, when I humble myself and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, he says, I love you, Matt. And because I love you, we're going to work on some things. And he's going to discipline me. And don't think that our sin doesn't have consequences. Well, I repented. Yes, that's good. Well, I confessed. Yes, here's confession. Confession is agreement. God, you're right. I screwed up. And then God's like, now here comes a discipline. Let's deal with it. If you want to read more about God's wrath in the, in the New Testament, it's Romans 1. That's scary when you read that. But God is a God of wrath. The other thing that we have to understand is if Ananias and Sapphira get away with this, then Christianity is just like every other religion. And in the church's infancy, God is setting the curbs and he's going to cut this at the root. Now, it has sprung up. And yeah, we all deal with it. We're broken people. But just like your kids, what you allow when they're younger, they will only grow into larger versions of. And in the church's infancy, God says, I'm dealing with this because he's merciful. You see, Christianity is not like any other religion. Christianity is a relationship with God the Father, our Creator, the one true God. And that relationship comes through the cross. That there's nothing we can do to earn it. We can't work for it. We can't wish ourselves into it. It is a gift. It is by grace through faith that we enter as adoptions, as sons and daughters. Religion will turn you away from God. It will either say that you are not good enough and that God can't love a person like you. Or it will make you prideful in that, how could God not love a person like me? Because I don't struggle with the stuff they struggle with. And we miss our own. Christianity is not like any other religion in the history of humanity. And God will defend that, and he defends that through his wrath. The second thing is we need to repent of our hypocrisy and pride. Every one of us are guilty of this. And we need to come to that point of confession to say, God, forgive me. Understand this, hypocrisy is not failing to measure up. It's pretending to measure up. And the grace covers us when we don't measure up. Grace is not lowering the bar, by the way. Grace is helping us over the bar when we fail. You see, the, the people that, that don't want to come to church, they look at the church and they go, I don't want to go there. They're full of hypocrites. Well, they're right. But are we going to be willing to repent 
and confess that and let God work on us. You see, the easy excuse for people not to go to churches, they're all hypocrites. The easy excuse for people in the church to leave is it's just not deep enough. Either way, selfishness and pride is set in. I want to work on you for a little bit. We need to understand, sometimes we need to own it. I mean, when we're prideful and hypocritical, selfish, just own it. You're right. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Maybe some of the people in your office would be benefited by you going and saying, you know, I just want to apologize because I know sometimes I pretend to have it all together and I really don't. You know, and I'm trusting that Jesus can help me through this. You see, the gospel is transformational. It will truly transform you from the inside out, but pride will block it. And God gives grace to the humble, and he opposes the proud. If you want God to be against you, not just to ignore you, but God to be against you, live in pride. Eventually, he's going to get you. He'll get all of you. And then the third thing is hold God's bride in high honor. God's bride is the church. It's, you know, not Marine Creek Church, not all the other churches. It's all the churches as one body. There is one blood. There is one baptism. There is one spirit. And there is one body of which Jesus is the head. And that body is the bride of Christ. And let me tell you something. God will defend her. God does not like anybody messing with his bride. You want to bring down my wrath? Mess with my family. All you guys are the same way. You're like, I'm, I can be pretty easy going, but you mess with my wife, you mess with my kids, you are going to experience Old Testament time. <laughs> there will be bronze scepters and arrows and shields and swords and slingshots and nails and hair, man. It's all coming out. We need to understand that, that Ananias and Sapphira was an attack from within and God dealt with it. External opposition will not close the church down. I don't hear, I've never heard of any atheist group that shut a church down. I think some of them, they need to make us think so we can approach faith at an intellectual level to be able to actually have an intelligent conversation with someone. But we need to hold the bride in high regard and high honor. We are not good and perfect people, but through the cross of Christ, we are his bride. God knows his bride is not perfect. If you think your spouse is perfect, oh, yeah. I was filtering that comment there. God knows we're not perfect. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is as broken people, we can be honest about our sin. We can be honest with God. We can be honest with each other. And the grace that comes through the cross of Christ that was shed by the blood of Jesus will cover us, that will make us his sons and daughters, that will form us into one body, and we will be the church, and we are his bride. And he says, I'm coming back for you. And in that meantime, we've got to do the responsibility so that we are the church that we are a good bride, so when he comes back, we present holiness to him, and we're ready for him to come back. And let's deal with our stuff. Let's deal with our junk. 
our hypocrisy, our selfishness, and our pride. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this day. Thank you for the truth of your word. God, this is a tough message today because, um, man, we see that um, your anger, that you can be a furious God, but you love us. And I thank you that out of your great love for us, you desire for us to be transformed by the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can have life, that we can be in a relationship with you. We can have forgiveness. God, there's nothing we can do to earn your favor. There's nothing we can do to make you love us, but you loved us first. Even while we were yet sinners, you loved us, and you love us still. And so, Father, we right now, humble ourselves before you and we submit ourselves to you and we say, Father, forgive us when we have tried to pretend and when we've shown a world that we have it all together and we're not even close. Father, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be honest before you. Help us to be honest with the people that we live life around so that they can see the gospel at work in our life. Father, forgive us of our pride. And we willingly put ourselves at your feet and we humble ourselves and say we live this life for you, for your glory, as your bride. We submit to you. Father, help us to be sensitive and aware of the needs of people around us. And Father, help us to engage with the gospel to meet the needs of the the community around us. We love you. We thank you. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.